You're listening to World Found, a podcast about belonging in an age of social isolation and disconnection, brought to you by the World Community Foundation. For more information on our grants and scholarships, or if you're interested in starting a fund and becoming a champion of true community, head to weldcommunityfoundation.org. Welcome to Weld Found's Season 2. It's February, and it is flu season. You can hear it in my voice. I'm your host, Tim Coons. A couple things before we begin. I want to address the irony that we are talking all about belonging in an age of social isolation on a podcast. So I want to give us an opportunity to leave the online world and connect in real life. I'm planning two get-togethers, and I'm calling them Weld Found Us. On Wednesday, March 11th, we'll be at the Yucca Fountain. This is an art installation at UNC in their new campus commons. From 4.30 to 6, I'd love to get together. And for the small group that shows up, I will buy you a cream soda from the fountain and we can talk about community, belonging, and also, as we do more of these hangouts, who from the podcast would you like to do a meet and greet with? Someone you'd love to ask more questions of and hear more of their story and perspective. Then our second date will be April 24th. With whoever we decide to invite from the podcast, we'll also do a short tour of Tower 56 Distillery. The owner, Matt Estrin, he'll give us a private tour of the distillery at 4.30 that Friday. I'll create some Facebook events for these for Wednesday, March 11th, and Friday, April 24th. Lastly, I have a dream to do a live, weld-found episode most likely scheduling in September. If you like this idea, write me at tim at weldcommunityfoundation.org or text me or tell me in person. Make sure and let me know that you'd be there. I'd love to get a feel for who'd enjoy an event like this. Let's begin our show. On August 17th, 2017, there was a total eclipse that was visible in most of the United States. Do you remember where you were when it happened? just a couple years ago. My family and I, we went to the University of Northern Colorado's campus in Greeley, where there are large open spaces between the old beautiful trees. We wore special glasses to be able to look directly at the sun as the moon passed in front, all but a tiny sliver from our vantage point in Weld County. Prior to this event, no solar eclipse had been visible across the entire United States since June 8, 1918 and really not since the February 1979 eclipse had a total eclipse been visible from anywhere in the mainland United States. So it was a special event. Out on UNC's campus, everything shut down. Classes came out, admin offices closed and poured onto the lawns. We saw business owners shut down their doors and step outside along 16th Street. The sky darkened. And I remember it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. It wasn't like cloud cover, it was different. I think my favorite thing about the moment was the way the shadows fell. Across the tree branches, you could see thousands of little crescent lights as the moon blocked the sun's full glow. Why did this moment have gravity? Why was it special or meaningful? Why did work and school and so many things shut down to witness it? I would argue the power of the moment was how it was temporary, rare. It was impermanent. It only happens once in a great while. And this gave it meaning. It gave it a sense of power. Its poignancy came from its impermanence. 
Now, the same can be said on the other end of the spectrum. Things that are lasting or have great duration have a resilience. Imagine celebrating someone's 50-year wedding anniversary. There's a power to that longevity, the resilience of all the shared memories between them. Or I'll hear about people visiting other countries and being floored by seeing buildings and towns that date back to the 1100s. Our idea of old architecture in the U.S. is remembering a Taco Bell with a curved roof. <laughs> so, so we're floored when we encounter ancient sites that reach so far back into our understanding of time. I remember my wife and I seeing the Terracotta Warriors in Xi'an, China. Thousands of them uncovered from this ancient tomb. And we learned that these weren't made in 15 or 1600s, but 200 BC. Artwork like the Mona Lisa or an institution like Harvard College, a Colorado bristle cone pine tree more than 2,000 years old. There's a power of things with their relationship to time, whether extremely long-lasting or extremely short-lived. Now back to the power of things being rare. As I'm working on this opening, a date just happened in our calendar people were talking about. The first palindrome date in 900-some years, 0202-2020. This made news. People were talking about it because its occurrence is a rarity, something to take notice of. What is impermanent in your life that's worth noticing? Something of such value because of how it's precious and momentary. Events like a solar eclipse, a moment where everything stops because you want to savor it. You want to make sure and take in as much as you can. This last January, I took my three daughters to the father-daughter dance, our yearly tradition. We dressed up and then we danced hard. And the five-year-old grabbed my hands during a song and used her feet to climb up me and do a flip. And then the eight-year-old did the same move. Then the 10-year-old did it too. And she's almost too big for these stunts. But this year we still managed. And in the moment, it hit me. How many more dances like this do I get? How often will they so easily grab my hands to dance with acrobatic abandon? It's worth pausing to soak it in. There's a deep meaning and power that comes with how temporary these days are. And the title of this episode is The Disappearance of Yucca Fountain. I found something incredible and unique, and I want to share it with you. And it's temporary. It's only around for another few weeks from this podcast's release. On UNC's campus, in their new campus commons, next to the university center, there is an art installation that's unlike anything I've seen before. And it's called Yucca Fountain, based on a real place that has since disappeared. And the installation itself is disappearing as well. It's only there until March 14th, and so get out in the next few weeks to experience it. We tour this gallery slash gathering space together today in an exclusive interview with the artists as they talk about community, mystery, and time. Welcome, my friends, to Weldfound. I visited the Yucca Fountain art installation on a day in October when there had been a big snowstorm and everything was shut down. I left the cold, bright white outside and entered the new UNC Commons. Then I came into the gallery space and everything changed. I walked through large black curtains and it was night. 
like completely dark in there. The soundtrack you hear, that's a fabricated soundtrack to sound like night, midnight in Nevada, along with the hubbub of people enjoying the evening at a diner. A 50s-style soda fountain was on my left with real booths you could sit at, maybe do your homework or have a meeting. And an actual restored camper was in the back right as I entered the space. You see, the Yucca Fountain, it's a gallery installation of a real place. A soda fountain that existed in the atomic era of the 1950s, close to where nuclear testing was happening. Starting at the beginning and just kind of... describing you come through a, a blackened curtain and it is midnight in Nevada yes yes <laughs> and, and uh, you see an old camping trailer that's been set up in what appears to be sand and you start walking on it and it is actually sand <laughs> and uh, and then it looks like there's a little fire pit yep. and it says restricted area keep out so you get this kind of sense of fear alongside what appears to be very, very homey and lovely. There's a neon sign that says Yucca Fountain and kind of a Santa Fe and so, um, Yeah, let's just have a seat at one of the booths. I sat down with the two artists that created and meticulously installed this exhibit. I took a seat with them in the diner. So I... Um, and what's your name? Oh, Helen Poppinchock. I am a faculty member at Simmons University. Where's in, Simmons? In Boston. And so I've been teaching there for about 15 years now. I teach a screen printing course, printmaking, and every once in a while I get to teach a freshman writing course. <laughs> so um, outside of school, you know, we're expected to kind of maintain best practices and, you know, be working artists and stay up to date with our our profession. So I'm Andrew Bablo. Um, I own a small design studio back in Beverly, Massachusetts, just north of Boston, about 10, 12 miles. Um, I went to art school. Uh, I graduated about 12 years ago, got a bachelor's in graphic design and came out, was working in licensed sports apparel as a designer. Um, and at the same time, I had founded a, a started a small magazine, kind of a zine, in college. Helen met Andy when she invited him to participate in an art show she curated of black light posters. After that, they collaborated on an installation involving a shipping container, more black lights, neon crystals, and an old TV turned into a scorpion terrarium. With Andy's background in design, especially in creating experiential spaces with restaurants, and Helen's work in screen printing, they found each other to be great partners in collaboration. I think the main sort of ideas that we're interested in exploring as artists are creating these sensory experiences. So how, how can we push the gallery experience? How can we engage all of your senses when you walk in the door? So, you know, you walk into Yucca Fountain and you start crunching over this gravel, right? You walk in the trailer and you smell the must, right? On opening night, we were actually able to serve food from the fountain at 1950s prices. We were able to incorporate the sense of taste. We have the soundscape, we have the special lighting elements. So we really wanted to create something that transported people just out of 
out of Greeley, out yeah. of this time frame, but also out of what they expect in a gallery, right? So, I think you know, as you're saying that, the bomb just yes. went off <laughs> in the distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, te- bomb testing, right? Yes. Because we're in Nevada. Yep. And so, so testing of the nuclear bomb goes off, and then the lights just flickered. Yes. Yes. I think that we, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, is how do we break down that barrier of the gallery and the misconceptions of the gallery? How do we get people to come into the gallery and, and feel like it's approachable and interact with it and, and come in here and say, well, this isn't what I thought a gallery was going to be. You know, there's, I can touch things here. You know, I can feel things. I can smell things. I can eat you know, there's all these different sensory, you know, cues that you get to participate in where I think the misconception is the white wall gallery with $50,000 and up paintings on it that you have to stand back 10 feet. And you may or may not get what they are about or yeah. be able to really engage or connect with the art. You have so. to be silent. Yeah. And so our idea, I think, is to really break down those barriers and, and make it approachable and make it fun for people but also there's obviously there's a deeper meaning here and there's there's you know there's a whole other background story to this so you can take it at face value or you can start digging deeper um, so there's an educational factor to this as well but even if you just came on opening night and bought a hot dog for 15 cents you know the, the look on students eyes of like wait a second this is how much a hot dog cost right. in the 1950s <laughs> you know so I, I think it was even for us was like you could get a whole ice cream sundae for 20 cents you yeah. know so yeah. it, it's amazing how far that was only you know my dad was born in the 40s so he's like yeah I remember this you know so it wasn't that long ago but we've lost a lot of that and or we tend to forget that because things have happened so fast especially now with technology it's moving so fast that we we kind of forget about the this era and and what was going on and just how quickly inflation has happened and Mm -hmm. you know the technology has changed so so i think one of those sort of deeper issues or meanings that Yucca Fountain is exploring is the disappearance of these kinds of community hubs, these small mom and pop stores where people could come and gather and meet up with their friends and trade gossip and get news of the outside world. And so we were really excited to create this space. And I was mentioning before how the students are planning a Halloween party in here. There are people who regularly come in, like there's, I guess, a gaming club here at UNC, and they come in here and they sit at the booths and they play their video games. I mean, but they're here, they're in this space, they're together, you know, whether they're engaging through their computers with the outside world or even just sitting and doing homework together. We were really excited to create a space that anyone could come into. We're saying, hey, this isn't just a a spectacle to come and look at. Come and participate. Mm. Be a part of it. What do you want to do? Do you want to host a, you know, do you want to host a... um, a party in here or a we had a group talking about uh, doing a soup night where they would you know sell pottery and and you know give away soup if you bought a bowl or you know and and just even the trick-or-treating and the Halloween party that was completely student-driven it's interesting to get students 
into a space like this and say, hey, this is a community space. This is yours this as is yours. much as it's yeah, ours. Yeah, so, so we want to see you use it to the fullest potential. And and that goes for the public as well. Just have more events where we can get the whole community involved in this in this project so that it doesn't feel like it's a gallery anymore. You know, this is granted it's ephemeral, but if you look around, there are still places in the community that could be utilized like this, like they used to be. They're fading fast, but hopefully the idea is, you know, seek out those community centers and find those diners or those places because once they're gone, they're gone. actually uh, collected the yucca fountain ephemera from was a bit of a desert weirdo and had some conspiracy theories that he developed about uh, the demise of, of yucca fountain. Um, we first learned about yucca fountain on this road trip. I was actually on with my husband and um, we went into just some roadside spot to get a cold drink, and it, the walls were just covered with like kitschy, you know, road trip Route 66 stuff. And amidst all of this junk was this one sort of standout sign that said Visit Yucca Fountain. I mean, it was like Andy and I are both collectors of all kinds of things, but one of the one of the things we love are just these old signs and old vintage pieces. It was such a standout piece, and so I said to the guys working behind the counter, I was like, what is Yucca Fountain? Like, this is incredible. And he's like, oh, you know, if you want to know more about Yucca Fountain, you have to talk to Bert Tuttle. So I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, and they gave us his information, and like I said, we were on a road trip, and we were going in the complete opposite direction. So we didn't have time on that trip to kind of up with the lead, so I put it into my travel diary, kind of filed it away. And then last year, Andy and I actually had a couple of overlap days on a trip. He was out there with his girlfriend, I was back out there with my husband, and we had these overlap days, and I was like, hey, let's do something weird, like, let's go follow up on this lead. So we drive out to this guy's property, and he was an old, he was an older gentleman. He had been a patron of Yucca Fountain, and unfortunately we were too late. He had passed away. People who had sort of taken over his estate, if you could call it an estate, you know, ramshackle buildings and, you know, containers full of stuff and his old travel trailer, they were on a mission to get rid of his junk. And so we were able to sort of save these relics from Yucca Fountain. The two original neon signs that we um, actually shipped back to Mass and restored, had the neon restored because it was totally blown out. Yeah. Um, and the original soda fountain fixture and some other sort of paper ephemera stuff. And then Bert's travel trailer, which when we got it was full of stuff, sort of hoarder style. So we kind of sorted through everything. And as we were in the process of looking through everything, this is when we uncovered Bert's sort of story, this conspiracy theory that he had developed. And this is why the sort of nuclear 
nuclear undertones show are, are present. So back in 1958, when Yucca Fountain burned down mysteriously, the United States government was coming up against this um, limited test ban treaty with Russia and the UK. And so in the last months of their sort of free reign of testing, they were testing as many devices as they possibly could, some five and six tests a day sometimes. And so Bert had this theory that they tested a device that they shouldn't have tested because maybe the weather conditions weren't correct. I mean, he's got these notebooks full of like weather observations and, you know, historic weather data. And, you know, he thought he was being watched and followed and, you know, anyways. Has that been recreated in there or is that actually the, the notebooks? That yeah. those, are the no, those are the notebooks. Yeah, yeah. So he had this tape recorder, but he thought that was like too incriminating. So then he started writing in like black light ink so that, you know, so there were so these the, like The black secret. light is over there and I was like this looking This was through in it. his, yes, that I, was I in his I thought you guys did like a recreation no, to make it no. more mysterious. No. The truth is so much better. Okay. It's like American oh. Pickers meets yeah. Unsolved Mystery. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's still a lot of missing pieces, and because we don't have, you know, the man himself anymore, um, we'll never really fully know everything. Yeah. And But, you know, you look at that time, they were, you know, testing these devices, winds were blowing over into Utah, and... There were issues know, with fallout in St. George, and... You know, you have high rates of, of cancer and leukemia in some of these cities over there to this day. Unfortunately, so I think that you know to even think that that happened you know 60, 70 years ago is unthinkable for us now. That you, you look at um, these photos of hundreds of people standing out in the desert watching an an atom bomb just go off, and you're like, is this photoshopped? Or is yeah. this? But no, this is real. And unfortunately, we think that could have been you know so. Ultimately, the fate of the original Yucca Fountain, which ended up burning down. Who really knows, though? I mean, who really knows? You know, for us as artists, I think it was kind of fun that we were able to say, okay, we have some framework here. We don't really have any photos. We have some kind of testimonials or accounts. We have Bert's original sketch. We have drawings. But beyond that, we've got to fill in the gaps. And so it gave us some creative liberty here Mm -hmm. to, to figure out, well, how do we, you know... We didn't have the original salt shakers or, the, right. you know, we didn't have the original glassware. I mean, those things aren't in existence to, to our knowledge, but so we we're able to fill in some of those gaps and recreate Yucca Fountain. You know, going back to that idea of the, the kind of mood and mentality in the 1950s, that kind of existential dread, right, that people were facing because of you know, atomic testing and atomic bombs and atomic energy in general. I think that there's that same kind of existential dread that's starting to kind of bubble back to the surface right now in our country. And so that is another sort of concept or part of our installation that, you know, we definitely thought a lot about when we were 
It's relatable. Yes. It, yes. It's, it's relatable. And I love yes. that as you hit that point, the, the soundtrack started <laughs> yeah. over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From, the, from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. As, though, as though, like, re, a replay. I was, I was yeah. like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about it. Because I want to heap praises on you guys, but then also like just I, I think it's fun to like when you experience a movie you want to talk about it. It's like I was like for one, for one it's intriguing, cool, mysterious, interesting. It's all those things, but then you want to stay there. Like you want like I would I would set up shop. It's and comfortable, right? It's comfy. The lighting yeah. is yeah. nice. Yeah, I would set up shop and work here. I would meet with people here. <laughs> yes. um, we encourage you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so there's this there's this idea of, of the, the gallery that you have addressed and torn up yeah. and just said said, Hey, let's let's have this now there's that being addressed, but then then there's the art piece in and of itself, which brings in the tension and um, and the intrigue and the mystery. And so and so speaking to in the 1950s, like like you're immediately not going nostalgic with it. Yeah. Um, you're going transportive with it, but it it is nostalgic, and there are pieces that you want, but then there also is as a darkness and a danger mm-hmm. that makes you think about that world we live in today. Yeah. Uh, and so I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, going back to what you were saying about about galleries in general, I just want to put in a, a plug for university galleries because this is a really special space for artists. It's a space where artists are not tied to the commercial world of art. It's a space where you can take crazy risks and not be beholden to a dealer to, you know, sell a booth or sell something off the wall. So to have like the money part of the art world divorced from this this physical experience, I mean it's like a chance of a lifetime. It it we can't say enough how appreciative we are of having this opportunity. And so you guys felt like the, the initial commission to to bring you in and create was a strong enough incentive to be able to create this experience without the need to rely on selling a well, bunch of and, stuff. And I, I did buy a Yucca Fountain shot glass. Nice. Awesome. Excellent. <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, that's a, one small way, and honestly, part of that, you know, the, the gift shop is, you know, diners always have stuff on the walls, and there's the little T-shirts mementos. or mugs. Yeah, so there's tied yeah. in. And the, oh, the candy, the old-fashioned yeah. candy, and, and then the screen printing. It, like, it all went well together uh, yeah we of course that is a way to recuperate a little bit of money for us but it also I think speaks to experiences that Andy and I have both had going to other shows and other galleries and being so appreciative of a great experience or loving someone's artwork that it's nice to be able to take a piece of it away with you or show a small bit of support to the artist or I institution. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I didn't need a shot glass. It was fun. <laughs> and it was fun to sort of dream up all yeah. these different products. Like we had, you know, we both traveled extensively in the yeah. Southwest, so we we've been to all these places where you can like buy a kooky t shirt or yeah. like take home a mug or yeah. <laughs> so it's part of the experience. Yeah. You know? yeah. So we wanted people yeah. to be able to 
have this memento because this isn't going to last here forever. And so, you know, it's going to be fun a year from now when you have coffee out of your mug or a shot out of the shot glass and say, I remember that time and that place. And and I think that's what, for me and, and for Helen as well, is experiential art, like installation work, there's, of course, you can feel a connection with a painting or a piece, but when you get to come in and really, really be hands-on with a piece like this, um, that's how you make those deep, deep memories and deep connections to a piece of work, I think, that that could last a lifetime, you know? And so, so we're hoping that, you know, yeah, we create some nostalgia in people's minds um, to find their own yucca fountain out there, mm-hmm. and so... You know, I think that's a lot of fun, and the reward is is to watch people like yourself come in, you know, for the first time and go, "Whoa, this is not what I was expecting." You know, and to, to hear what they say and to see the expressions on their face, that's really rewarding. My name's Hannah. I'm a student at UNC. I really love the lighting of it, the connection of lighting to everything else, because you are transported to this ethereal kind of time travel moment um, and the only light that you see is from inside the diner which can be taken metaphorically as well. My name's Mia. Um, I love how immersive the Yucca Fountain is like when you walk in and like just the whole ground changes to like you walk in and you're like I'm on rocks and then you like feel like you're actually outside and in like a whole new world so I think that part's really cool. I'm Clarice. I really like how um, in RV part there's a notebook with um, like you have to use a specific tool so it's got secrets upon secrets and you've got to like use your brain. My favorite part is that I've actually decided it's like a really good homework place and I've taken to coming in here several times a week and just sitting at a booth and working homework for a few I hours. I see you in here. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Gabrielle. I'm a student here at UNC. Uh, one thing that I really, really like about Yucca Fountain is in particular the trailer. Um, it just has all these little tiny bits and pieces and it's just very nice to have that sort of living space art exhibit. I love those kind of things where it's like interactive and not, you know, sterile like so many sort of museum and, and art galleries sort of feel to be. It's very much an inviting space for anyone, not, not just sort of a, a more elitist space. One of the things I really liked about when they first opened it, they had like all of the old-fashioned candies that they would sell. They had like fruit stripe gum and they had this like lavender candy that tasted really good. I bought like four packs of those. They had the sour dots on the paper that you pull off. It was just interesting to see how they like made it feel like you were back in time. Um, So I'm Sabrina. I'm one of the assistants here and also a student at UNC. I just remember my first time ever coming in here and the doors had been closed. I had just been hired and Pam brought us all in and it was like magic. I stepped into this completely new desert scene and the doors are still closed and it was just like a whole new fantastical world and I've loved it ever since. I especially love the camper, like the journals in there are so fascinating. They have all of his conspiracy theories, but then they also have just like his like travel stories. And they actually remind me a lot of my grandparents. And I remember I had one time, I was working alone on a Saturday and I'm in the camper just reading the journals and I started crying because they reminded me so much of my late grandmother. And I'm just sitting there sobbing, reading these journals and someone came in and I was just like, hello. And like, 
It's been like such an amazing experience to be here. Um, I've been collecting little memorabilia because this has been my first job and I'm like so lucky and thankful that it gets to be in here with this specific installation. And I just love it so much in here. My friends, what's impermanent in your life worth noticing? And this question is not only addressing the meaningful relationships in our lives, but also our favorite places. Do you have a favorite coffee shop or store or restaurant that you'd be heartbroken if it closed? Because these spaces support the very social fabric of our lives. The experience at the temporary exhibit of Yucca Fountain reminded me to be intentional with my time and money because there are spaces I love in my community that I would so miss if they were to disappear. Thank you, Helen and Andrew, for this transportive experience. Getting to see Yucca Fountain's maiden voyage was a gift. Best wishes on where the installation is headed next. Remember, friends, if you'd like to do more than just listen to the show and actually get together, we'll meet at Wednesday, March 11th, 4.30, at the Yucca Fountain in UNC's new campus commons. I'm calling this Hangout Time Weld Found Us, and you can look for the event on Facebook. Let's get out and see this exhibit one last time before it's gone. This is the actual closing of Yucca Fountain, and they will be offering the food at 1950s prices. We close today with a new segment we're introducing for season two. It's called Weld Found Me. This is our chance to highlight people who live in our own neighborhoods, hearing a bit of their story and why they call this place home. Today's Weld Found Me guest is Natalie Mash, newly elected school board member and all-around awesome human. My name is Natalie Mash. I have lived in Greeley since I was four years old. My family moved here from Nebraska. I live here with my husband and two children, 12 and 14, Everett and Cecily. And um, I work at Sunrise Community Health Center as a refugee program director. Uh, This means I get to welcome the newest families to our city um, and introduce them to healthcare, get them all caught up on on medicines, immunizations, lab draws, things like that, and welcome them to our city. I also was recently elected to the Greeley-Evans School District 6 Board of Education and will be serving a four-year term there. Uh, I love Greeley. I, I had a wonderful childhood growing up here, playing in the parks, going bowling and to movies, visiting the mountains and the big city of Denver. And I went away to college and came back and graduated from UNC. My husband's from out of state and we felt like we could have gone, we could go anywhere, where should we go? So we did some traveling, uh, but at that point we had already lived in Greeley for a year. And once we left, we realized we missed that community and we wanted to make Greeley our home. We really wanted to invest in local businesses, see the downtown thrive. We got to be a part of that. Um, We saw our friends uh, creating things that hadn't previously been there, making beautiful the city that they loved. And we wanted to be a part of that and, and watch that happen. And it really has over the last 10 years. Especially in my role as refugee coordinator, I've gotten to see how many entities in the city work together to solve problems. Realizing that sometimes different groups are duplicating services for underserved people, and how can we, how can we serve the best way? Um, and then also on the more 
lighthearted uh, ideas and issues, creating art spaces, um, bringing music, bringing activities for families and people of all ages. And there's something here for everyone. Special thank you to Dave Farrell, a professor at Ames Community College who helped with sound engineering for this episode, and for the extra music today from Michael Olivier, an accomplished sound engineer and songwriter from Greeley. His most recent project is a band called Trash. Check them out, especially if you enjoy alternative rock pop anthems. Again, thanks to Helen Poppinchok and Andrew Bablo for their time in taking us through the Yucca Fountain. Our next episode will be releasing later in March, titled Named and Known. We invite Dr. Josh Packard back with us again for another interview, this time on loneliness. Hope to see you at the fountain, March 11th.